0: Log TALK
1: RADIO
0: You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 15, 2020, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is Maggie Sale Ostara, PhD, who left her prestigious job as the Director of Women's and Gender Studies at Columbia University when she realized she's not built to work for anyone else. Since then, Dr. Ostara has become a Certified Human Design Specialist, Level 4, a Certified Clarity Breathwork Practitioner, and a highly sought-after teacher-mentor. She teaches high-achieving women how to develop their personal sovereignty to activate their innate superpowers and to unleash themselves from society's prescription of success in favor of their own. Her topic tonight is Ignite Your Feminine Sovereignty Now. Become powerful and influential on your own terms to give your highest contribution and experience profound joy and deep satisfaction. She's the creator of the Soul Signature Self-Awareness Project, The Wheel of Power of the Visionary Entrepreneur, and over 20 educational programs focused on building soul-inspired businesses that positively impact the world. She's hosted five multi-speaker online conferences and spoken on over 15 such conferences, reaching audiences of over 200,000 participants. With two decades of experience, Supporting 20,000-plus students and hundreds of clients through her online programs and conferences, Dr. Ostara teaches how to avoid overwhelm and burnout, make reliable decisions, create a bigger impact with less effort, and transform inner liabilities into powerful assets and allies. Well, wouldn't we all like to be able to do that? Her websites include, uh, there's two of them, Sovereignty by Design, which is the human design site, and OstaraExperience.com, which is the sovereign coaching site. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our show notices, uh, which are about two a month, uh, if you enable those. Our main website is StarseedHotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And please be aware that due to a massive global Starseed activation, our waiting lists are at about six months. But that will start shrinking now because our new team of astrologers have completed their starseed training and are now helping us and our starseed community. And it's also interesting to note that this awakening started well over a year before our current global crisis, and you are all bringing more light to this world. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing, and that only takes a few days. But if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order at least six months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it before your 10 hours happens. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News.
2: Good evening, Arielle. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back with you. And we have quite a bit of news that we've gathered in two weeks Actually, though, to be perfectly honest, it's getting harder and harder to find positive news, but somehow I managed to scrape it up, so I hope you enjoy the program. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in our space and science department, Solar 25, Solar Cycle 25, has officially started, and space weather trackers say this will generally be a less active cycle, with a peak sunspot in numbers to occur in 2025. They think it's going to be pretty quiet. All right, and in Venus, I suppose you all have heard this. This isn't pretty exclusive to Starseed News, but I just had to bring it up. They have found a phosphine gas, which happens to be what they call a biosignature gas, that was found in Venus's atmosphere, and they tell us that could be a possible sign of life. Now, examining the atmosphere in millimeter wavelengths of light, Show that the planet's clouds appear to contain up to 20 parts per billion of phosphine, enough that something must be actively producing it, according to researchers. What could that be? Well, now, you know, my mind, being my age, goes back to the old comic books and um, uh, cartoons about life coming from Venus, even old sci-fi movies, but, you know, the idea of searching for life on Venus has been regarded as a pretty out-there tinfoil hat concept, according to astrobiologists, but now, one of them said, he was with the Planetary Science Institute, says this. He says, so now that I hear about this, I'm delighted, not because I want to declare victory and say this is definite evidence of life on Venus. It's not. But it's an intriguing signature that could be a sign of life on Venus, and it obligates us to go investigate further. Fascinating. Fascinating. And, by the way, I read up on that, uh, that gas, phosphine gas. Um, it is anaerobic. It exists outside of oxygen. They kind of think that the atmosphere above Venus is about the same temperature, get this, as if you and I go out of our front door, which is really weird because Venus is a very ferocious climate. They call it actually hellish. So this may be an airborne bacteria or microorganism living in the air of Venus. So anyway just thought I'd share that. But, you know, life could come in many, many, many forms. Not all of it looks like us. So we'll see what they find, if they find anything at all. And uh, on SETI, you know, they have been doing lots of search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And I found out that there was a large-scale survey of the Vela regions that has found no evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence, which doesn't mean much unless extraterrestrial intelligence uses radio waves and our current technology. But to share the story, they tell us that astronomers using the Murchison Wide Field Array radio telescope have searched for technosignatures, which are indicators of advanced ET civilizations, in six known exoplanets in over 10 million stellar systems in the Vela region of our Milky Way galaxy. But in this part of the Milky Way galaxy, we learn it appears that alien civilizations do not exist. That is the findings from that survey. Take it for what that's worth. <laughs> now, China China has had uh, an interesting thing happen. They have uh, launched a spacecraft. They call it experimental, and it's reusable. It was up there for two days, and it came back. So they tell us that China's mysterious, reusable, experimental spacecraft has finally landed, safely landed after two days in space, according to Chinese state media, and may have deployed a satellite while in orbit. Now, they're not telling us that, but this launch has been linked with China's plans these past few years to build and operate a reusable space plane, although that connection hasn't really been confirmed. And also, an analysis of a newly found object out in space suggests that the Chinese spacecraft released something while it was in orbit according to Space News. So thus, they think that it launched something up there, and who knows what it's doing, but there it is. And what went right this week? Well, a couple of things, particularly. Um, Conservation efforts have prevented the global extinction of between 28 and 48 bird and mammal species since 1993. And this is a study led by Newcastle University in the U.K., and BirdLife International. In the same time period, 10 bird and 5 mammal species did go extinct. Now, extinction rates would have been up to 4.2 times higher without any conservation action, according to researchers. They found that while policy commitments have fostered significant conservation achievements, future biodiversity action needs to be markedly scaled up To avert any additional extinctions. In other words, the work is not done. We have to continue uh, to advocate for the environment and do what we need to do to save these species who have been going extinct for decades. But here we are. We have good news because we saved between 28 and 38, 48, excuse me, uh, animals and birds. Well, there is something very interesting going on again in the UK. And before I tell you this story, I want to ask you something when you get a dandelion listeners coming up in your carp your driveway or along your sidewalk, do you run in and get something to squelch it out? you want to kill that dandelion get that out of the crack in the sidewalk Well, here's somebody <laughs> who takes a different view and by the way, I doubt that too many of our star seats do that, but you know it'd be all right I mean people are pretty particular about their yards and stuff but Anyway, this is something to think about. Um, Somebody has decided that weeds are more than weeds. And there are people called rebel botanists. And they're on a mission to celebrate urban plants, meaning those little plants that grow up in the cracks of your driveway. Hmm. Now, this has been inspired by a botanist who's been using chalk to write the name of urban plants on nearby concrete People in the U.K. are teaching themselves and others about the flora and fauna in their neighborhood, particularly the flora. Now, There's a, a new government movement there which is encouraging people to embrace urban nature by learning about the plants that poke up through cracks in pavements and on grassy places in towns and cities all across the U.K. Their project is named More Than Weeds, and it encourages people to pay attention to the plants they see in their towns and cities and learn more about them. So with a piece of chalk, the person that founded this, More Than Weeds, has been writing the English and Latin names of so-called plants that she sees during her walks in London, where she happens to live. She started this project in November of last year, and she was going to begin guided tours through the city, but it didn't really take off until the lockdown was enforced in the U.K. People couldn't get out, she said. She said, I think it really resonated with people as they could no longer travel away from home. They could not escape from the city on weekends to get their dose of nature, so they had to look around them and appreciate the nature that they could see. Some of the towns stopped spraying herbicides and weeding for a period, which meant that people could see what the streets actually look like when nature is allowed to grow back. Now, she's had a thousand messages and emails since her idea went viral, And people are asking her to identify plants that they found or to guide them about how to write the names of what they find on sidewalks in their own neighborhoods. People are beginning to realize how beautiful some weeds can be and that a weed to one person is an important plant to someone else. For example, did you all know that some plants in Europe are considered as weeds but are highly celebrated in Japan? So there you go. Beauty and values in the eye of the beholder. And I think this is really, I mean, I'm all into this, guys. I mean, I don't kill the dandelions that come up in my driveway. So that's just my thing. But I think this is absolutely lovely and a part of the new world that we want to make. Nature awareness and appreciating life in a holistic way. It's beautiful. Well, I have a little news about the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, which is some very good news. Following a shutdown of the pipeline, The Standing Rock Rock Sioux Tribe is building a wind farm. Yeah, now this 235-megawatt wind farm will be built on the Standing Rock Reservation where most of the tribe lives. And one tribal spokesman put it this way. Now, mind you, some of these people have no electricity. He said, for our people, this project is a prayer. It allows us something to leave behind for future generations of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and reflects our cultural values by prioritizing our people and our land and nature over profit. Wow. I find that so inspiring. It like is. No, you know, they, they are looking for donations. So you can uh, Google Standing Rock Sioux Tribe uh, Wind Farm, and they'll take you to a website uh, where they are taking contributions. Um, they need a lot of money. Um, the Sierra Club is donated to the mothers, So if you can help, it would be a lovely thing to do. All right, here's a study about dogs. And by the way, before I get into this, in in my research of this story, I read an article about why dogs have cold noses. Now, I was always told that when your doggy has a cold nose, it means it's healthy. But (laughs) they do studies on everything, don't they? (laughs) They study everything. But this particular study, they studied the dog noses and they said that they suspect that this is an infrared detector for heat, that the dog's nose is cold to enable it when it can't smell because of temperature or wind fluctuations in the air. Um, They can't pick up sense. That this is able to detect heat. It's a heat sensor, and they can track heat through their noses. So that's just a separate story. So let me get on with what I was going to read to you here. Um, But don't you think that's cool about cold noses? I mean, they're finding out all kinds of interesting stuff. That a dog really relies on that nose for more than just smell. He can tell where you are by his little sensor in his nose. He can feel your body heat. Well, telling your dog I love you increases their heart rate by 46%, which I thought, really? I don't know if that's a good idea, but listen to this. It says, if you're a dog owner, you already know that your dog understands you for sure. But a new study conducted by Canine Cottages shows that dogs not only understand their humans, but also what the owners are saying. The study revealed that dogs' heart rates increased on average by 46% when their owners said, I love you, to their furry family members. Now, when their owners would say, I love you, the heartbeats went up to an average of 98 beats per minute. But then, when the dogs get relaxed, there's a decrease of 23% to about 57 beats per minute when they cuddle with their owners. They calm down. Uh, The owner of the uh, Canine Cottages said, it's amazing to see that our dogs' heart rate increases when they are told they are loved. It shows their excitement and decreases when having cuddles, showing how contented they are. So not only does your dog understand what you're saying, but they're also capable of receiving, appreciating, and expressing their love. And according to this group, there are certain ways your dogs can express their love for you. You all know this. The actions include kissing and licking, cuddling, giving greetings, begging, sharing toys, or being generous, showing the belly, acting loyal, jumping up, tearing up your belongings, yes, this really is a mark of affection when they chew up your shoes, and coming to you when they're hurt, distressed, or in any discomfort. And any pet owner knows just how much having a pet does for you. But it sure is nice to have science confirm it, isn't it? So make sure you say thank you to your doggy for all he or she does for you with extra treats, with extra walks, or even more I love you's because it does mean a great deal to them. And thanks to you, Ariel, for this story on this world's biggest cave. I combed this story and I thought, wow, this is so much material, it's too complex to cover all of it in the news, but I'm going to give you an overview to the listeners tonight. Um, there has been new discoveries made during a recent expedition in Vietnam, and they have found that the, uh, a cave in Vietnam called Song Doong is the world's largest cave, after all, because it's even bigger than they even thought of before and most of this hasn't had anybody ever in it this is an amazing place the photographs are i mean you guys just need to research this the world's biggest cave in vietnam check this out look at the pictures this is like something from an exquisite movie jungles inside of the cave where light filters through down onto the cave floor um Waterfalls, uh, water—it's uh, unbelievable. Anyway, this happened last month when a trio of British divers ventured to, can I say this, Phong Nha Ke Bang National Park in the jungle-filled province of central Vietnam to explore the cave's waterways. Now, during the groundbreaking dive, they discovered an underwater tunnel that connects one cave with another enormous cave, and in total, both caves measure a total of over. 1.5 billion cubic feet. Um, one of the divers said it would be like someone found a lump on top of Mount Everest, making it another thousand meters higher. He also said that any cave in the world will be able to fit comfortably inside the entirety of this cave. It is just outrageous in size. But the size being gargantuan in and of itself, the the life inside this cave, the um, uh, formulations of the rocks, the, uh, it's absolutely awesome. And amazingly, this hadn't been discovered until recently. So, you know, there are mysteries on this planet, plenty of them. We don't know everything, and there are untouched areas and undiscovered countries on this planet. So, it's a beautiful thing to see if you want to go check out the photographs. For those of you who love spelunking and are interested in caves, it's fabulous. All right. Well, um, my time's running out, but I have to share something with you um, this evening because I think it really is important. Um, No matter how long I've known people, no matter how long I've worked with people, with my clients, how many readings I give, uh, and that's been thousands over many years, I find that people are always pretty much uniformly hard on themselves. And, you know, we could take hours discussing that and how that comes to be, but I think most of you figured that out. But... Sometimes we believe scientific studies when we don't believe what our friends tell us. You know, friends say, you really should be nicer to yourself. Oh, yeah, I know. And then they, then we don't do it. Well, in this day and age with current stresses, it's time we take those words seriously because many people that listen to us tonight and many people who are not listening are don't know how they're going to cope. They don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. It's getting so bad. So where do we start? How do we start coping with the world around us? and preparing, actually utilizing our tremendous inner spiritual forces to create a better world for ourselves and for the planet at large. How do we achieve our full potential? Well, we certainly cannot do it if we beat ourselves up. So let's talk about self-kindness for a second, because self-kindness boosts our mental health and helps us navigate the stressful situations we're in now. Now, you know, guys, it's simple. It starts with the simplest of awareness, all you need to do is observe the breeze blow gently through the trees. Why don't you try to savor the rich taste of your morning cuppa and curl up with an engaging novel in hand? Now, far from being an extravagance, these actions of aware self-kindness, they're often regarded as, a self, as an extravagance, by the way, but in fact they are the cornerstones of mental and spiritual stability. Now, you know, a lot of us wonder where we can go for help. We seek out readers. We seek out therapists. We seek out people to give us a boost in life and tell us which way to go with our path. But you know, really much of this work begins inside. And if we can tune into our inner selves, we can figure it out for ourselves. And But we have to be kind to ourselves in order to do that. And in a world that's increasingly time-pressured and with an economic model that has unyielding forces or for, focus, excuse me, on efficiency, it's all about what we can get done and how long it takes us to do it. It's easier than ever to overlook personal feelings and needs. In fact, it's demanded of us, is it not? But now, according to psychologists, the art of self-kindness, it's not something that we should consider as optional or secondary to whatever else life is demanding of you. So whether it's in the realms of the physical, the emotional, spiritual, or professional, being conscious and sensitive towards yourself, they tell us, builds resiliency for whatever life throws at you. Now, small acts can make huge changes. And this is according, I'm quoting now researchers, uh, for my verification here, according to a counseling psychologist. Now, life was once about survival and has now become about survival on a hamster wheel. And we cannot let ourselves relent to the relentless uh all that around us that's demanding our attention. So we need to engage in self-care and self-kindness, give ourselves empathy, as these are vital acts of personal will that keeps our lives from becoming meaningless and our minds from feeling enslaved. According to psychologists, we must learn to establish boundaries, psychological and physical. In a volatile world, this brings balance back. And one counselor advises, put away your laptop and your work make sure that you take that lunch break. If you stay away for a weekend, make sure you do not work. If you're not well, then take your time off. If you do these things, it will allow you to be more focused and happier in what you have to do. And she suggests also that we keep a gratitude journal in which we write down three th- three things that we are truly grateful for every day. Now, she tells you to focus on more specific details like If you went to order a coffee and the server made a joke, something like that. She wants you to be in the here and the now and notice the smaller things that helps to foster a more positive mindset. And lastly, she suggests seriously controlling your social media feeds. She said with her clients, it's a really big issue, as it is with mine. She tells people to take digital detoxes and filter out anything that could be damaging to you. Wow, let go of that stuff. And here's an idea. This is my favorite part of this whole piece. Celebrating imperfection. What? Are any of you recoiling out there going, I don't want to hear this?
1: I'm (laughs) supposed
2: to be perfect. Well, I'm I'm the goddess. I'm supposed to be perfect. Well, listen to this. The founding director of Harley Street Wellbeing Clinic believes the philosophy behind the centuries-old Japanese art of kintsugi – I don't think I said that right, but anyway – Uh, It's K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. This is a practice in Japan in which practitioners fix broken pottery with a special lacquer dusted with powdered gold. Hmm. We like to use invisible glue when we fix something, don't we? We don't want anybody to see that it's been broken. But this is glue dusted with gold. What's the idea? Uh, See and contemplate the importance of the breakage translating literally as golden joinery. Think about that. This meditative repair method shows the fractures in an object instead of disguising them. you probably figure out how this relates to self-kindness, but if not, <laughs> listen to this. First, the amount of attention required for such tasks like this. Many other actions of devoted focus work the same, whether you're putting a puzzle together or knitting, for instance, Well, this kind of focus puts a person in the immediate present. Sadness about the past or worries about the future, the cause of much suffering in humans, disappear when focused on the here and now, resulting in physiological stress reduction and psychological relief. Second, and very important, that particular practice of celebrating the imperfection with gold dust is like saying, I accept who I am. Even when you're lying to yourself about anything, imperfection and damage is a part of the human experience and has made you better over time. It's good to know that you are lovable, as my mother once said, warts and all. And lastly, <laughs> lastly research by Harvard University, get this, guys, has shown that if you think positively about specific events for two minutes per day for 30 days, think we can do that? Two minutes a day for 30 days, the brain develops a background scan for positive thinking. Wow. One of the researchers said, quote, it all comes from how people receive feedback as they grow up. If parents are too critical as a child, it can be very difficult. But from the perspective of the brain, we need to develop habits so that subconsciously we always look for the positives, end quote. The result is that what... is that we become more solution-focused when faced with challenges. And when we can understand this, we make incredible change. The next level is to use five-minute exercises, check this out, to project a big movie screen in your mind to imagine what would happen if everything went well in your life. Just think about that. For all of those of you out there worrying about what's going to happen next, let's X that out. Put that big movie screen in your mind. You might have to work really hard at this, guys, but I dare you. Imagine what would happen if everything went well in your life. You know, in sports, they use visualization to enhance performance. What could happen? How could you see yourself? And those questions will help you shape your future. Let us develop a positive background scan in our brains. Two minutes, 30 days. Your brain will cooperate with you, and it will overwrite, at least countercorrect, balance the negative feedback you received very early on when your brain was just developing. And in the words of Ogmandino, I leave you with this. I will love the light, for it shows me the way. Yet I will endure the darkness, for it shows me the stars. Wow. And for my heart, to each one of you, everybody, much love. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Arielle, for the opportunity. Okay, well, that was here.
0: great. Thank you so much, Anastasia. Really good job tonight. So uh, we'll see you um, back two weeks from tonight. You bet you will. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Now I am going to open up Lavendar's mic and our special guest, Maggie Ostara. Just hang on a second. Okay. Okay. Um, Maggie, welcome to the show. We're one, we're just so glad that you're here.
3: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and I'm just bubbling over with all of that good news. My goodness.
0: Yeah, it's 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 nice to hear hear news yeah. that is, you know, holds your attention and doesn't make you feel bad. So, mm-hmm. um
4: Lavendar, you um set and ready to go? I'm ready to go. Okay, take it away. Okay. So, Maggie, I'm so glad that you decided to uh, be our guest tonight, and I really enjoyed our time together that we had some time ago. And I've been really looking forward for you being our guest. So why don't you share a little bit about your background, and tell us a little bit about how you consider sovereignty to be number one for higher consciousness on the planet?
3: Thank you, Lavendar, and I'm. I just want to say thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I. I also appreciate um, connecting with you again and being able to uh, relate with your community. That's um, really an honor for me, so I'm happy to be here. Uh, so my um, my story, I, I like to start out by just letting people know that I originally, in my um Early adult life, I was a professor. I I was a women's studies and gender studies professor. My PhD was in um, African American studies and uh, women's studies, particularly in the U.S. in the 19th century. And that was a... Super um, education for me, and I always value the fact that I started out my life that way. It taught me so much about um, research and understanding how to analyze things and how to um, make sense of uh, lots of different types of information. And any of you who are feeling overwhelmed by all of the different types of information that are available now, and needing to sort through them. I totally relate to that, and I'm very grateful that my early education gave me a lot of understanding about how to do that. Um, and the other thing that I have always been interested in that was part of my um, my education and part of the scholarly work that I did was I, th- I think of it now as consciousness studies, although back then I didn't think of it that way at all. But what I was really interested in was how – um, the majority of people who are outside the mainstream, which is, makes it kind of oxymoronic to call it the mainstream, doesn't it? But, um, you know, when we're talking about white women and um, people of color, uh, that we have always needed to find ways to express ourselves Um, so that we can um, be seen and known and heard and we can create change in the world that we live in. And then in order to be able to do that, we have to be able to move beyond the conditioning and the programming that we uh, were given and that we grew up with that told us that we were less than, that we were unworthy, that we were undeserving. And all of those different negatives that, um, you know, most of us grew up with, but especially white women and people of color um, and people who didn't have as many resources and as as much economic status. And so I think of it now. I look back and I go, I've always been interested in um, in consciousness, in that sense, is how do we break free from the limitations that we were brought up with, and how do we, learn how to express ourselves and to be true to ourselves and to help to create change. And my mom became a feminist when I was a teenager. This was back in the seventies and was good old consciousness raising. So that made a, um, a big impression on me. And I think I've carried that through with me as consciousness raising ever since. Um, but when I was at Columbia, which is where I was teaching and where I was the director of women's studies, I got really, um, disgruntled by, being in an institution, and I ended up feeling that institutions, by their nature, are patriarchal, <laughs> and um, and I left. I just I left everything that I had created. I would spent 14 years getting my PhD, and. Uh, teaching at Columbia and writing my book and all of that. But I just left because my soul was really pushing me out. And I didn't realize at that time, I didn't know human design, but as it turns out, I'm not really designed to work for anyone else. So it makes another kind of sense to me now than it did back then. But I just was really driven out. And at that point I discovered metaphysics and started um, diving into this idea that we are co-creators of our own experience. Because before I really came from an activist point of view and was really looking at um how social structure kind of like what we're now looking at in terms of systemic racism and things like that like that was the really the way i thought about things before then i came introduced to metaphysics and i became a healer and uh, i became a breath worker and i i really dove into that inner landscape work in a different way and it came uh uh a different way of understanding consciousness. And I had the good fortune at that time to do some work with a woman who um, later called herself a shamanic practitioner. Um, She was just, you know, a, a light being who came into my life, and she introduced the idea of sovereignty to me at that time. And it was a new idea. This was over 20 years ago, and no one I knew was talking about sovereignty. Um, and but she was talk it really schooling me and helping me to step into my own personal sovereignty and teaching me what that was about. And so I have spent the last 20 to 23 years now. Um, continuing to practice what she taught me, and then expanding through my own personal work, but then my work with many clients and students over the, um, these couple of decades about what sovereignty really is and so i 'm glad i 'll get a chance to to talk with you about that now and i 'm writing i 'm finally i 've been writing about it for years, and I said teaching and i 'm writing a series of books about it now, and um, I, the good part uh, it also is is that i 'm starting to hear more and more people talking about sovereignty, especially women who are talking about that of course it's it 's been in the conversation for uh, indigenous people working for their ability to have command over their ancestral lands for a long time, and it's something that we see in the geopolitical world where we talk about nation states having sovereignty, but that's really different than the personal sovereignty and the feminine sovereignty that I'm, I'm working with now, um, but that, I have a long, a long history with consciousness and sovereignty, and I'm delighted to get to talk to you about it today.
4: Can you take us a little deeper with what you think sovereignty is? Do you have, like, several keywords or a paragraph that really describes the movement of feminine sovereignty and how that we as, as a collective of, of cosmic dust can come together and start supporting one another on the planet? Because we get very upset with the women that I see on the planet now that are not supporting other women. Can you, can you address that? Mm, mm, Okay, well, you just packed a whole bunch of questions right into that, Lavender.
3: (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to unpack that. And if I forget any part of it, will you come back and remind me? (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
1: Um,
3: So, yeah, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about feminine sovereignty. And um, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I want to just have a little historical moment because I'm a historicist. I'm a trained historicist, and I think a lot about history and how history has created the foundation that we live on today. And I think when people think about the term sovereignty or sovereign, they think about the king and the queen, um, which makes sense. um, Because initially that word, if you, I I like etymology, so I like to see how words evolve over time. And that word originally was created in about the 14th century, 15th century, um, about four kings and queens, kings mostly, um, to describe, to kind of justify their authority. And just this was a time when the ruling families were uh, really consolidating their power in Europe, and Europe is what I know the most about, but then also that this was the beginning of colonialism and the expansion of the ruling families and the countries that they were a part of in Europe starting to expand and take over much of the rest of the world. And so that kind of idea of sovereignty was justifying what the power of these um, of these kings, and so that's the kind of geopolitical um, environment of it. But there was, but there's this other really um, spiritual meaning that I love, which I think was manipulated and distorted. But I really like to hold on to it, which was this idea that the sovereign is anointed by God um, as the ambassador and the representative of the divine on earth. And that's a very, I still feel inspired when I think about that. And we know that religion became, you know, was highly politicized and that there, um, you know, a lot of um, violence um, and damage has been done in the name of, of religion and spirituality and so on. And at the same time, I think there's a kernel of truth that lies inside of all of that um, about the sovereign being the lawgiver and the fair and wise and the benevolent, right? This is the idea is the benevolence of the divine. And so we all know that that didn't work out so well in Europe and the United States was created at the end of the 18th century as the first sovereign state. So what we get is the movement from sovereignty, from royalty into the constitution really of the United States and this idea That men are created equal. And that was a very, very radical notion at the time. We know that it actually has never been realized fully. Um, But at that time, it was absolutely um, outrageous, really, that people would say, well, we are equal. Because before that, the idea that individuals would be sovereign or individuals can even have control over their destiny was pretty much unthinkable. Um, And so you have phase two, which is this this idea of the sovereign state. And inside the sovereign state, you get this uh, notion of individual sovereignty that largely had to do with white men. Um, And that grew through the 19th century and has come forward into our time. And that idea of sovereignty often has to do with individual rights. You know, I should be able to do whatever I want to as long as I'm not harming other people. Um, You know, I have... uh, you know, this is this is really a kind of rights-based idea, but it, it doesn't do what you were just saying, Lavender, asking about. What is it? Doesn't take account of other people. It doesn't help us to be together here on this planet. It actually fuels a lot of the fighting and the squabbling over resources um, that we have seen. And so um, phase four really is out of that individual sovereignty into what I call feminine sovereignty. I was originally calling it modern sovereignty, but I realized the more I wrote about it and talked about it, that the many of the qualities I was referring to uh, are often associated with um, with the feminine and with the divine feminine. So I thought, oh, my goodness, this is actually feminine sovereignty. So I do have some keynotes I want to share with you about uh, what I consider to be feminine sovereignty. And I hope that it um, will inspire you and resonate for you and that it it may support you in your own personal development and understanding of you being here on the planet and and how you can be making your contribution. So the first one is um, really creativity, Um, creativity, possibility thinking, um, being in command of your own story. I love the idea of, of being in command. I actually used to do these big three-day events, and I called them Take Command, because command is very different than control. Command is when you are in, you're infused with divine inspiration, and you're acting out of your spiritual truth, and you are in alignment with the goodness, of the universe and you are working from benevolence so you are that command is your ability to really call to you the light from which everything is made um, there's one piece in a um, channeled um, book i read um, from jesus calling the, the, the adamantine particles when you take command is when you pull the adamantine particles to you and that is how you can bring things into form so you need to have command of your own story um, so that you can be co-creating it with the law of creation um, and with our Creator, and not feeling that you are a victim of circumstance. Um, even though, yes, we have had dramatic experiences um, and, and you know thousands of years of oppression. That is also true. It's not to deny that. But the first one is really that positive, that sense of being in a world in which all things are possible. That we are ultimately creative and that we are coming from the divine inspiration. Number two is um, being emotionally intelligent, um, being responsive rather than reactive, being resourced rather than being reactive. Um, knowing and, and this, this really begins with knowing and accepting oneself the, the knowledge, the acceptance, the love, the compassion. Um, and then from there, the command of the inner landscape so that we know what are all the different parts of us, right? What are, what are the different traumas and wounds that we've experienced in our life? And ideally, the, the, those that we maybe have in our epigenetics or that we have from our ancestral lines as well, that we can really get a handle on so that we're not being run unconsciously by those former traumas, um, but we are actually able to heal them, to hold them to find the resources that we need, and that we can um, bring ourselves always back into a state of resource and resilience so that we can be responsive rather than reactive, even in the most challenging situations. So that's what I call emotional intelligence. The third one is being embodied, being physically vital, being grounded in the physical world. I think for many of us who are spiritually inclined, and certainly for star seeds, there can be this tendency to become disembodied, to be living, you know, a foot or two above your physical body, to feel more associated with the light realms than you are with the physical world. And yet, we are here as human beings to be physical beings, to be living as the children of this earth, and to be made up of the both of the stardust, as you said, Lavendar, and also of the materials of this earth and to be the children of Gaia. And so our embodiment in this incredible form that we have that is not just a vehicle to move our minds or a spirit around. Our our bodies are this co-creative community of 70 trillion cells, uh, much of which, more than half of which are bacterial, um, that are all working in consort with Um, one another in the most cooperative way possible to be creating our life experience. And so to have a vital and um, um, uh, honoring relationship with our bodies uh, is, is really um, a, a critical part of being present and also a source of incredible wisdom because our body has great wisdom and in human design, which is one of the systems that I work with, um, we we are trained, we're shown the ways that the the body can bring us wisdom in a variety of different ways. So number three is embodiment. Number four is being a great communicator. And in my view, being a great communicator is both the ability to take a stand, to be articulate, to be able to, to speak up about what matters to you um, to see about what you want to see created in the world and so on. But it's also equally, if not more so, the ability to listen and to be influenced by others, to be able to take in other points of view. Um, And so it's this dynamic where we actually, um, being a great communicator isn't just about our our articulation, it is about our receptivity as well. Um, and so we both, we need both of those. And I think Lavendar, when you were talking earlier about women fighting with each other, I think that that's a great example of not being great communicators and not being willing to take in other points of view. Um, and you may be aware, uh, familiar with this phrase, you know, there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth. (laughs) Um, And then the final one I want to share with you today is the um, concern for all, that benevolent attitude, um, the ability to see the big picture. Um, In the yoga tradition, um, this is the idea of enlightenment is the ability to see all the perspectives. Um, This is one of the things they say that Jesus was able to do is to see all the perspectives. And so it's not about being locked into our one perspective, but being able to see all of them. And then from that place of the interconnectedness of all of life to have this benevolent, compassionate, um, grounded in goodness and love perspective that is driving our, all of our actions, and all of our ways of um, of being in the world. So those are really the qualities of um, of, of feminine sovereignty um, that I you know I'm developing more in the books that I was talking to you about. Um, but those are the qualities.
4: Oh, I love it. I would like to add one more thing to that. Uh, if your name's on it, do it. But if your name's not on it, don't do it. Let that cup pass your lips. Know know what has your name on it. I find a lot of people. They jump into situations because their friends are doing it or their family's doing it, and they just they just ride the train with others they don 't seem to know how to identify what their gifts are, and that 's what i 'm finding with a lot of star seeds that show up that me that, that, it seems to be one of the questions that they always ask: Well, what am I here supposed to do
1: that 's yeah what I hear.
4: totally you hear do? you about that lavender and that 's one of the reasons I love human
3: design because it actually gives every individual um, a lot of um, operating instructions around their life. And um, that's one of the reasons that I use it. And it is a question that people often come to me uh, about, is their life purpose? Um, and so I, I, I completely agree with you about that. And I think that that is about knowing what your realm is. If we go back to the sovereignty metaphor, right, what is your terrain? What is your realm? Um, And we have to, in my view, one of the things that we need to do, each of us, is to pick our realm and then to gain mastery in that realm and to take command in that realm and to know that others are also doing that and that it is not helpful for us to try to see, even as we have the big picture, we can't address the big picture, right? Right. Um, but we can address our piece of the big picture inside of all of that. Uh, and that's how we can become effective in our lives is um, by being able to, to identify that and build um, our, our capacity in that area. So I completely
4: agree with you about that. So tell us a little bit what human design, what, tell us how that works. And I, I hear a lot of people that use it and I really I haven't looked into it myself, but all the people that are doing it seems to be working for them. So please, please explain what this human design uh, yeah, is. About. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want
3: to say one thing before I move on, which I forgot, which is that I have um, a quiz that I developed, which is called, What is Your Feminine Sovereign Archetype? And it uh, it's fun. And I just invite all of you to go and take it if that appeals to you, because there are six different feminine sovereign archetypes that I've identified, and they do have different characteristics. And you can get that at sovereignquiz.com. And I'll mention this again later at the end, but just want to throw that out there um, because it—it it, it, there isn't one kind of feminine sovereign that we're trying to make ourselves into. There's actually a number of different archetypes that we can relate with, um, and uh, each of the six feminine sovereign archetypes is associated. With one aspect of human design, so um, that's also a way to get a little bit of flavor of human design. Okay. So just to give you a, um, a not even an overview, but just a, a little bit of a um, framework for human design. Human design is a it's a uh, a combination and an evolution of. Uh, Four different esoteric systems, ancient esoteric systems, the chakra system from India, the tree of life from the Kabbalah from the Judaic system, uh, the Western and Eastern um, astrology, um, and what's the other one? Um, Oh, the I Ching, which is one of the biggest ones, the Chinese I Ching. So it's an evolution of all of that. And when you put it together, it creates a template or a map of our evolving humanity. Um, and inside of that bigger map that relates to all of us, each of us have our own map of our own evolutionary path and our own soul curriculum. And this is one of the reasons it's really helpful for people when they want to know about their um, their purpose and what are they here to do and what's the best contribution for them is the map can actually give you some clear. Cle- clear indicators of that. It won't tell you something like what kind of job should you get, right? Um, It's not that specific, but it does tell you about what are the types of things that you're here to give. Like for my, like just as one example, I have what's called an open throat. Okay. And I have 10 hanging gates going to my throat. Now you don't have to know what that means, but basically what that means is that I have many, many different ways that I can express myself and I can manifest in the world depending on my life experience and who I'm around. And it's one of the hallmarks of the teacher. And I've been a teacher ever since I was the littlest kid. (laughs) Like I used to, you know, like I was known for that, like in grade school, (laughs) you know, I've just always had that as an archetype for me. And it's right there really prominent in my human design. Um, So it reveals to us our our tremendous gifts and our talents, what I like to call our superpowers, that are often not recognized and appreciated in common culture. Um, And many times these are potent energies that we need to learn how to manage, um, or they will manage us. Uh, And without some training, that can be painful, even harmful. So if I go back to this Example I just gave you from me of having this open throat. Well, some of the downsides of having that open throat also mean things like I can blurt things out at the wrong time. I, when I was younger, I used to have the experience of speaking up and nobody hearing me because I wasn't waiting for the right time. Like I had all this energy that was just flowing around and I didn't know how to manage it. And, I, and so sometimes it would kind of take me over and, and work of its own accord. And nobody taught me about that. Um, that that came from my open throat. I didn't learn about that till I came to Human Design. Fortunately, I had learned a little bit more about how to manage that. But it would sometimes still some you know come up beside me and like you know bite me in the ass basically you know. And I'd be like, wow, why did I say that like that? Or why didn't I say that at that point when I really wanted to? Like, what was difficult for me about my articulation. And now that I know it's from my open throat and I understand human design, I'm able to utilize that energy in its highest possible, most awakened aspect because I know what it is. And there's many markers of that, many stories I could tell you um, in my own chart and, and of clients that I've worked with. And so knowing this information brings us back always to ourselves to our inner wisdom, to our inner authority. That's one of the things I love about human design is ultimately it always leads you back inside to yourself. Um, And it reveals to us um, the many intelligences that we have. We don't have just one intelligence. And too many of us, and myself included, have been over-conditioned, over-programmed into the logical left-brain mind. Uh, and all of these other intelligences of, that we have have been diminished or rejected or suppressed. And so it shows us what these are, forms of intuition, forms of knowing, of sensing, and so on. And it helps us to understand how to bring them forth and how to utilize them. Uh, and when we discover and live out our design, we're able to identify and release that, all that conditioning and that programming that's kept us paralyzed or tied up in a straitjacket um, or going in the wrong direction um, and we can unleash ourselves uh, to uncover our own truths and our own ways of being in the world and this was a huge lesson for me when I realized that I have all this uh, what we call individual circuitry and I'm not designed to fit in I'm not designed to be a part of a crowd at all and that's why I was like oh no wonder I, can't, I couldn't hold a job <laughs> Because I'm not designed to be that way. But, you know, before I knew that, um, sometimes it was painful for me, especially when I was younger, about not fitting in. Um, and why was that the case? Um, but the upside for me is is that I'm also here to bring, make change, to bring in new forms. Um, and it suits me absolutely in my work because I, you know, I, I write books. I create programs. I'm very, very productive. I create lots of things, and that's totally in my design also. So it's helped me, and uh, one of the things I do when I do readings for people, is help people really get the, the power and the, um, the effectiveness and the satisfaction that they can get when they know they can turn these things that can seem like liabilities Like I have another one, which is called the gate 51. And in traditional human design, they call it the gate of shock, Um, which means you can have shocking experiences. You can give other people shocking experiences Um, in our new evolved way of thinking of human design. um, It's uh, really the, the energy of initiating oneself and others into higher consciousness. It's like the priestess gate. And I was like, Oh, Well, yeah, it's true. I have had shocking experiences, and I used to be more shocking. I've kind of learned how to temper that. But when I really realized, oh, that is about my purpose to be able to help initiate others into higher consciousness, and honestly, you know, sometimes that is shocking, or sometimes it's just disruptive, right, because it's disrupting our normality, Um, and that's okay, especially when it's delivered with love and compassion um, and goodness and benevolence, right? Not with a desire to control, to make wrong, you know, to reject or all of those other um, more negative and harsh aspects, but really from this place of stripping away the old programming um, so that the truth uh, can be revealed and someone can get a deeper sense of who they are. And all of that really feeds our sovereignty.
4: So, do you do you see that the star seeds that are on the planet now that they have a, a particular role for evolution? Is that something that you're tracking or looking at today with star seeds?
3: Well, I'm not tracking it like you are, Lavender. Okay. <laughs> but um, but what I would say is that you know most of the people that I work with, and this is increasingly so um are people who w- would probably identify as star seeds even if they didn't have a um, a more kind of official or formal way of thinking of it. They're definitely um, high consciousness beings who, you know, and some people you know who who identify this way um, can feel really kind of, Radically outside the mainstream, they can feel isolated or confused or can um, uncertain, unclear. Like you were saying, they're you know can, can you'd be following somebody else because they don't know what their what their purpose is. And sometimes people who have these qualities can also be prone to anxiety or depression. Um, and so I think one thing is to be able to get a, a handle on that piece because that, in my view, really comes out of um, our programming to think that we are supposed to be different than we are. Um, and I think star seeds have the potential to bring in radical new perspectives that do disrupt uh, cultural normality and open doors to new possibilities. I think that that's one of our purposes it, because we don't fit in largely. Um, and we do see things differently. Uh, and I was just on a, uh, um, a zoom call with um, Charles Einstein, who's an environmentalist and an author. And one of the things that he said that, that really spoke to me is he said, you know, everything uh, that really matters cannot even be spoken of in the political arena today. Um, And so we need to be expanding platforms and spaces where we can address um, and develop new actions around what really matters. And this goes back to, you know, what really matters to me as a star seed or you as a star seed or somebody else, right? It goes back to that sense of your own, your own terrain that you're going to have dominion over your own landscape. Um, And that we have the capacity to do that. Each of us has an opportunity um, to do that in whatever realm calls to us the most. Uh, And everyone's really needed um, to be doing this right now because there's so much that needs reframing that needs to be reimagined, that needs to be recreated. And I think that starseeds, by our very nature, are um, have the capacity uh, to be able to, to, to see differently, to feel differently, to know differently because of that uh, connection to super consciousness that allows us to uh, have this new way or different way Um, of experiencing life. And so I think that, um, you know, that's definitely what I do with my clients is to support them to source inside for their own divine connection and to bring through and express and contribute in the ways um, that that individual came here to do, realizing that they are doing that alongside many, many people who are doing it. And, um, and then also gathering with others that you feel are in alignment with whatever that is. And all of this, you know, it takes maturity. So, I mean, it takes maturity. It takes developing those qualities that I mentioned to you, those five qualities of uh, feminine sovereignty. I mean, I don't think any of us are born with those. Those are things we have to develop. Um, We have to learn how to do them. And, and so we need support to be able to develop those capacities uh, and um, to be able to learn how to bring forth the richness and the value um, of each person's point of view into whatever form serves them and get it out into the world. I mean, it's one of the, you know, the things I love to do most with people is to support them to, um, to do that process and to get really, really aligned. And I think when starseeds do that um, it, it contributes to the overall evolution of the planet in a holographic way that is enormously potent. Um, And my belief, which is not mine alone, um, I think many of us believe this, is is that when enough of us who are here on the planet are anchored into the planet and tapped into superconsciousness and have elevated our perspective and our frequency, uh, to a high enough state that our, our ability to influence our world uh, is going to be so much bigger than anything we can really even imagine in some ways right now. Um, and that that is why consciousness is so vital and why all of, the, you know, why all of us starseeds need to get the support that we need and we need to find each other um, and why it's important for us to be, to be developing our sovereignty.
4: I'm so glad that you brought up soul maturity because I'm in the process of writing a uh, an article or a chapter about galactic soul maturity. Mm. I don't I don't know about uh, how you work exactly, but I know how I work and when I find certain people that are just waking up, I don't want to give them the information that I truly have in a soul maturity aspect because they're not mature enough to hear it or mm-hmm. to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's, but I'm but I'm finding that when i started working with this that the minute i started putting it out there about soul maturity then i had more soul maturity with my clients all of a sudden i didn't have the beginners i had i had ones that were you know uh, rising up from their ancient record mm.
1: Mm.
3: well that totally makes sense right because you're because then you're starting to resonate with the frequency of soul maturity and as you do that, that's who's going to be more and more attracted to you, right? Yeah. Um, right. And I also uh, really agree with you and also work similarly in the sense of I think it's really important to meet people where they're at. And Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and part of our ability as mentors, readers, counselors, healers, is our ability to tune into other people and discern where they're at.
4: Right. I and try then not, I try yeah. not to take anybody past what what they're trained for because to me that's a violation.
3: Well, it's a yeah, I mean a violation and and also just might be, you know, futile or unusual. Yeah. you know. And both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because they just won't. It won't. It's kind of like speaking another language to someone. That's right. That's
4: right. You have to you meet know? them where they're at. have to meet them where they're at. Absolutely. Exactly.
0: So yeah. I really have really
4: I have really enjoyed you coming on our show, and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host Ariel, who has the switchboard. And if you'd be interested, in maybe receiving some comments from some from our listeners, would you Great. be able to stay longer? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Maggie. Stay in touch with us, and if you have anything—a new book or something—that you want to come on and and tell our listeners, I can always give you five or ten minutes before we have our our main guest. So
1: always
4: feel free to do that with us. Okay? Okay, perfect. Thank you. So back to you, Ariel.
0: Okay. Well, I have just so enjoyed uh, what you've had to say, and um, before I start asking some questions. I just want to say that if anyone is um, listening from our switchboard and you have a question <clears throat> excuse me, or a comment, um, then you just need to press 1 so that our producers know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, then you just need to dial um, 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. And um, well, we've already got... We've already got a caller, but uh, we, we go through a screening process to make sure that they're on point. And uh, so when she's ready, uh, we'll be talking to her. I think I know who it is. I recognize that phone number. Um, but <laughs> while, while we're waiting, um, I, I wanted to ask you uh, about the um, clarity breath work. That's, that's a term that we haven't um, had before. So can you tell us what that is and what are the benefits? How do you do it?
3: Yeah, great. So Clarity Breathwork is a form of um, conscious, connected breathing, and it creates an altered state, and it opens portals to the inner landscape that includes uh, memories. It includes um, energy and emotions and um uh, thoughts and beliefs that are embedded in the, in the physical body and the energy body. So it opens up the portals so that those aspects can come more to the surface and can be addressed. So, for example, if you, ha- you made a decision when you were young, you know, like, let's just say, I'm going to make this very simple, but, you know, my father hurt me, so I'm not going to trust men again. And a decision like that could be made very early and then get embedded literally in the energy and the, and the physical body. And so it could be during a breathwork session, breathwork sessions are usually about an hour, um, that that belief could uh, come to the surface. And I could help someone process that belief and actually release the energy of it out of their body, their physical body. And it may be that through doing some psychological work, like with a therapist or something like that, they knew that they had had uncovered that belief, but it was still stuck in their body. And so that's one of the incredible things that breathwork can do, is it can help you to move the energy of things that you maybe already knew about or you've uncovered in some of your personal growth work that you haven't really been able to free yourself from. Um, and it can also reveal things that you didn't know about because there might have been, for example, for that person who had that belief, maybe there were other beliefs that were underneath it that become revealed while you're breathing. So it's, um, it's a process where you you do create this really, this kind of super oxygenated state uh, and you're able to tap into d- different dimensions. Sometimes people are visited by um, you know, by angels um, or by bodhisattvas and that sort of thing. Um, sometimes they connected with their parents who have passed. There's all kinds of different things that can happen because it does open this kind of interdimensional doorway. Um, and it's uh, when I work with a client or, or people have been trained the way that I have, is we, we're, we help people go deeper but also help them stay grounded and safe. So that they don't, you know, get lost in the in the nether regions, but that are, but they always come back. They always become really grounded, and then they're able to digest the experience that they have. And I work with people over time. I always do a series of sessions with people. You can have a truly mind blowing and even life changing experience in one session, but the true transformation happens over time. So I usually do like ten sessions with people. Yeah, and it's the,
0: the The changes are miraculous. Wow. And I I would imagine that um, negative things like that that your body is holding on to, even if your mind has detached from it, that there could be, you know, physical health ramifications. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people can
3: have pain in the body. Um, I mean, you know, we've seen people. You know, I'm I'm not making any medical claims, but you know, we've seen people heal from cancer, um, you know, from all different kinds of like back pain and neck pain and things like that. I had a, a client who um, breathed with me for quite a while, actually, and he had a shoulder problem that he, he just he had for years, and he just could not. Um, he didn't even really know exactly what it was from. and In one of his sessions, he um, realized that in another life, he'd had a, um, an arrow go through his shoulder. And he had uh, was, was experiencing residual pain from that because of a belief that he was holding on to that he made in that other life that, his, that was still with him. And so, when that belief came to the surface and he was able to make a new decision and let go of that oldest belief, then the pain in his shoulder went away.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, oh, that makes total sense. But mm-hmm. the poor guy, um, I'm glad he found you eventually. Uh, because the well, yeah, others. Yeah. yeah. You know, Ariel, I think uh, the truth is, is
3: that there's a lot more of us walking around with things like this than. We like to um
0: <laughs> imagine <laughs> well yeah 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 mm-hmm. so and and if someone um, were interested in a in in a breathworks session, um which of your websites would they go to? Well, you know,
3: actually, I have a free um uh ebook a twenty five page ebook and a couple of just short like introductory sessions, they're not like doing a full session. Um, that people can get for free. Um, that's at clarity-breathwork.com. Clarity-breathwork.com, and that can just teach you a little bit about breathwork, and um, and then you'll, you know, we'll be in touch with each other. And yeah, if you go there, you can, and and any of my websites have contact forms, so you can always just reach out to me
1: via oh, one of my contact exactly.
3: forms, also. Yeah, but but you can you can get a little thing about clarity breathwork, if that in particular interests you
0: yeah that's fascinating well our Mm -hmm. caller is ready to go and you are going to be talking to a dear friend of ours um she's been right alongside lavender since before i knew her i don't even know how far you go back (laughs) but you're going to be talking to lynn let me get the mic open here hey
5: lynn so thank you for calling in i'm doing good (laughs) thank you
1: No, it's great
5: to hear. Um, In this strange world we're living in. (laughs) Right, right. So
0: do you have a a question for Maggie? I do. Um,
5: First of all, um, may I call you Maggie? Oh, please, yes. Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, as the women here know, I have been just... Livid, adamant that we are not sovereign, and I just want to ask you, at least in the in the times that we live in right now, mm-hmm. I I wonder what your thought is about women being having sovereignty without having financial sovereignty. Because I've been screaming for almost well for twenty five years that we have got to get ourselves in the game and the game is financial. It's very hard in my opinion, from my eyes, to be to have women stand up and be sovereign beings
1: mm-hmm.
5: without financial security.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I totally hear you about that, Lynn, and um, I, you know, I I agree with you, and actually, uh, I agree with that so much that one of the things that I've spent a lot of time in my life doing is teaching women how to make money. <laughs> I love teaching women how to take their gifts and talents and their life experience and put that into something they can make money with. So um, I, I'm. Completely behind you on that, and um, and yeah, I mean, if, if we don't have some way of having some level of financial sovereignty, then we're always either going to be dependent on other people, or we're going to be in scarcity and in survival. And you can, it's 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 possible, but it is more difficult to be sovereign um, if you are. Worried about your basics Um, I mean we always have to remember About Viktor Frankl Who was a man who was sovereign In you know concentration camps. So there you know We have to remember that You know it is possible But financial um, um, sovereignty Is a key component Um, And uh, you know I think that there is a lot of healing That we need to do around self-worth and around our own perception of our value um, as women, mm-hmm. as people. And we've been, you know, uh, programmed for thousands of years that we uh, are not valuable and we're not worthy and we're not deserving, um, and that we're secondary and that, you know, our role is to serve men, basically, right? Um, and this yeah. is true mm-hmm. for people of color, too, men of color as well, but for the large part. So it's like all of us getting this inner um, development around our own value and our own worthiness is the, is the foundation. Because my, in my experience, because I've worked with people a lot around this, is uh, that when you own your value, then you uh, will have more money in your life. Unless it's really not important to you, because there are people who are their their values are about self-sufficiency and they're off on farms doing their own thing and they're not necessarily plugged into the money system and that is a form of sovereignty when you can make that work. So I just want to acknowledge that because yeah, there are people I, I, in, no and yeah, but but I, I, I totally I, I hear too, what you're totally saying. Agree. Yeah, yeah, and yes, there's diff- and different ways of being sovereign, you know. Um, But I do think that if you're if you are in scarcity and you, you know, you're worried about where your rent's going to come from or you don't have enough money for the, the, you know, the food that you really want. I mean, that's a that's a very challenging situation. And it is something that um, we as a collective really need to to grapple with.
5: Well, it's sort of like the old Maslow's law, you know, (laughs) absolutely hard to, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard to go beyond if you can't feed yourself. But exactly, well, I will. I will get you uh, aside from this because uh, I think there are some really amazing things we could do. Great, I've got glad to, to hear from it. you. I, I am. I am so. You know, this time has. If this time hasn't stirred the feminine to stand up and make some change. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to take.
1: I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm.
5: I don't know what it's going to take.
1: Mm-hmm. But
5: I think the timing is there, and I think, I think we're ready.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you.
5: I hear you. I agree. I
3: agree. I think the time for feminine sovereignty is now. You know, as I said it earlier, so I've now. been working with this for a couple of decades, and I um, have never felt as strong about it as I do right now
5: well i'll get I'll get with you after, and we'll wink arms and 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 let's start the chain. That <laughs> sounds good <laughs> okay and thank, thank you so much. This was very enjoyable oh good
0: I'm glad okay well, Lynn, thanks so much for calling. It's always great to hear from you thank you okay bye-bye. bye 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 well you know that that that's a, a really good point and um and that part of your of your bio that I mentioned um, where you um, you help we have twenty educational programs focused mm-hmm. on building soul inspired businesses
1: mm-hmm. that
0: have a positive mm-hmm. impact on the world so mm-hmm. i mean you've you've already done a lot of work in that area because obviously um, we have to change the you know the business model um, from the you know the corporate to the individual you know coming from the heart.
3: Mhm.
1: Mhm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: And one of and one of my um, purposes has been I'm not as focused on business coaching as I once was, but I do work still work in that realm with people if that's what they're coming to me for. Um, but I, you know my, one of my purposes is to help. Uh, help redistribute, retool our economy so that people who are doing transformational work and healing work uh, are making more money, you know, that there's more uh, share going to people doing that work. And I think that that's um, a really vital thing that that needs to happen. And, you know, there's a there's a really funny uh, analogy that I've seen. Recently, um, where so I live in California, and um, you probably know we've had enormous fires up and down the West Coast um, the last couple of weeks. And um, we've been seeing actually uh, military personnel and military equipment coming in to fight fires. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, wow, what if we were to retool our military? And all of that equipment to be doing things like fighting fires, you know, or to be rebuilding things um, and to take it out of its warlike orientation and retool it into something else. And I think that that's one of the ways we need to start thinking is how what we take for granted as the normal, like the military is the normal. And how can we imagine it doing something different that's beneficial in our lives? And that is something we all have the power to imagine. And if we can imagine it, at some point in the quantum field, it will, it will collapse into form and it will come into being. So I just want to throw that out for you to, you know, food
0: for thought. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was just thinking about that the other day, you know um i mean i've I've read on the internet, and who knows if it's true, but the the dollar amount that is spent daily for military, anything, it's staggering. Oh, absolutely staggering. yeah, it is yeah. staggering, and mm-hmm. that could be that could be such a a powerful force for positive change instead mm-hmm. of death and destruction and mm-hmm. conquest and, and, you know, competition for resources.
1: So
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thinking that the other day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's definitely something that we can all do. You know, before you go to bed at night, just imagine mm-hmm. that that is, that is has been changed. It's been mm-hmm. transmuted.
1: Mm-hmm. And it'll
0: go out there, and just like you said, it'll kind of coalesce, and things will come back and start changing.
3: hmm hmm yeah
1: mm-hmm.
3: and that's one thing all of us can do we all have sovereignty over our imaginations we can all utilize this in, immense creative power that we have to to be developing visions of what could be possible and i think that starseeds because of our the way that we're plugged into super consciousness we have the ability to have this kind of Super highway going back and forth of energy, um, and that the the visions that we get emotionally involved in, and we start saying, you know, this is um, we start future pacing, right? Going going, putting our energy into that positive future that we want instead of worrying about that future. But but future pacing with this is what I'm imagining is possible. um, Then you know, the outcome of that is not something we can even imagine, I think, at this point. You know, I mean, it's like everything that we're living inside of now, I mean, when I just think of like the comforts that we have of our homes or our heating or our water, that's all the result of past generations imagining those things. And it may not have come to pass during their lifetime, but we're benefiting
0: now. I think that's that's a good point because a lot of uh, what people are building is for the short term, and they mm-hmm. don't think about long term consequences
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, you know generations from now, how mm-hmm. is that going to look? You know mm-hmm. so I think we we need to have some more um visionaries and and as you said, we have sovereignty over what we think, over what we feel and and our imaginations. Mm-hmm. and and no one no one can take that or change that we we can surrender it <laughs> but but right. it can't be taken
1: so exactly. um mm-hmm.
0: this is just this has been so uplifting and enlightening mm-hmm. and it's been such a pleasure having you on here um i want to go over your um websites again just so everybody remembers you have two websites uh the human design website is sovereigntybydesign.com and the um, the sovereign coaching site is OstaraExperience.com, dot com, and that's O S T A R A. And um, you do you do sessions um, over the internet. You have all kinds of resources with, um, I mean, educational programs and um, uh, you know, I I have you know on both of your websites you've got resources that people can take advantage mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I want to just remind everyone about the Sovereign Quiz. I really, you know, if you've enjoyed this, please go take the quiz. It's a, it's, um, a relatively new quiz for me. So I'm, I'm loving hearing people's responses about it. That's at SovereignQuiz.com. And it's about what is your feminine sovereign archetype. And after you take the quiz, when you get your result, you get a whole video that's all about that. You'll get a beautiful special report. And then you also have the opportunity to register for a, um, a free webinar with me, which is about how sovereign you are. It's really looking at all six of the archetypes, and then giving you some tools to be able to evaluate yourself about where you are. Um, it, uh, you might call it your soul maturity, <laughs> mm-hmm. what Lavendar was saying, or just yeah. you know where you know areas where you um, want to build some more capacity, places where you're really strong already. So it's got a nice little sequence to it when you take it, and um, and it's a way for us to get connected and, um, you know, do some work together right away without, you know, uh, without any financial investment. Um, and then, of course, there are more opportunities. I do human design readings. Uh, I do do breathwork sessions. I do all kinds of different things. So um, I, I'd be happy to connect with um, any of you further.
0: Okay, so... Um- Listeners, just go to either of those websites or thesovereigntyquiz.com and uh, get the ball rolling. See where it goes, and uh, (laughs) I have a feeling that that these changes are are pretty fast. Um, You know, you say like in in a in a few days or a few weeks, or maybe even suddenly the light bulb goes off. So it's it's not like something that you have to do for a couple of years to get the results. Well, it really depends on the person, right? Uh-huh. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I and, guess it does it, depend on the person, but
3: so, Yeah, it depends me, on um, the person and their readiness. But if they are ready, then yes, absolutely I agree with that.
0: Okay. Well great. Yeah. Well yeah. thank you so much for um spending your time and your knowledge and your insights with our audience. And um, when, your, when your books are coming out, be sure and let us know, and we'll bring you back on and, okay. um, and tell everybody. Okay. That's great, I Thank you okay. so much. It's been a
3: beautiful um, time with you here today. Thanks to all of our listeners now and in the future. And I look forward to connecting with you soon, I hope.
0: Great. Me too. Okay. Well, that's it for us this week, and we'll be back two weeks from tonight. And until then, find something to be grateful for every day and show compassion with every opportunity. Good night, everyone. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.